Grab your Bibles if you have them. Get them out. Uh, last week, we began a series called Jesus Encounter. We have been focusing on the person, the power, the anointing, and the, the various roles of Jesus, our Messiah. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Okay, why is that? He says this, because we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, okay? So when I say, hey, let's all think about God, let's all think about Jesus, the mental image, the mental picture you have of God is very important. And if that mental image, that picture of your understanding of who God is, is, is not accurate, you will actually end up with all kinds of misconceptions about God. Misunderstandings about Christ and who he is, uh, we will ne- inevitably end up with wrong beliefs, and wrong beliefs end up with wrong actions, okay? So it's very important that we understand who God is. We, will re- we reflect the God that we believe in. We reflect the nature and character of the God we believe in. Um, now, it is not possible, because our brains are finite, it is not possible to fully comprehend and fully um, uh, understand who God is, because he's, he's infinite um, and we're finite. But at very least, we want to be accurate in what we do know and what we do understand about Christ. I believe, in, in some respects, the church at large has lost the true majesty of the Lord Jesus. And in many cases, we've drifted from what I believe is supposed to be the true expression of Christianity. Wrong beliefs produce wrong results. Um, This is one of the reasons why I think today we have um, a lot of woke churches and woke pastors, because they've lost the true reverence of the Lord Jesus. And um, they're more concerned with the fear of man and the fear of being canceled than they are honoring the Lord Jesus and who he says he is. Okay, um, so it's a big deal. You manifest the God you believe in. You will manifest the God you believe in. Here's the deal. We might do a message on this in the, in the upcoming future, but the Bible says that Jesus is the lion and Jesus is the lamb. Okay, many know him as the lion. They know him as the righteous judge. And many know him as the lamb, the suffering servant that came to take on the sins of the world. But if you don't know him or understand that he is both the lion and the lamb, you will not um, end up rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? So the names of God um, that the Bible talks about help us identify his nature and character, the nature and character of God. Um, He has many different names throughout scripture, and this helps us understand who he is. It says this in Psalms chapter 9, verse 10. It says, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say those who trust in you will know your name. No, it says if we understand, we know his name, we know his nature and character, we will inevitably put our trust in him because we will realize that he is worthy of our absolute trust and absolute control over our lives. There's, if you know who God is and his love for you, there's nothing in your life that you wouldn't willingly surrender to him and give over to him. There's nothing you would be tight-fisted uh, with and, and clinch onto if you know who he is, okay? So um, last week, 
The, the title of our message in this series was called Jesus, Our Messiah. Jesus is clearly uh, uh, portrayed uh, in the Old Testament as the one who was to come, the Messiah. If you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go back um, and listen to it. This week, the title of our message is Jesus, Our God. So last week, Jesus, Our, Mas- our Messiah. Jesus, uh, this week, Jesus, Our God. We highlighted the fact that last week, Jesus is, he fulfills the, the, the role of the Messiah in that he was prophet, he was priest, and he was king. He's three and one. But how many know that Jesus is more than a prophet? He's, he is the word of God. He's more than a priest. He's our great high priest in heaven. And he's more than a king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now today, what I want to show you And what every believer here I want you to walk away with is that Jesus didn't just claim to be a good man. Jesus claimed to be a God-man. Okay, and by the way, if you claim to be God and you're not God, you're not a good man. Okay, if you're not God and you claim to be God, you are disqualified from the category of being a good good man. Um, It's kind of this funny story, but um, we didn't actually see this, but those who've been to Maui, we went to Maui this summer, Apparently, there's a guy there who says he's Jesus. Literally. Like, you go talk to him. He's like, I'm Jesus. And he, he's convinced he's Jesus. Well, how many know that you're either in one of three categories? If you're claiming to be Jesus, you're claiming to be God. You're either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Those are the three things we can do with Jesus. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Um, that guy in Maui is a lunatic. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Jesus, his claim of himself is that he is God. Lately, I um, have observed that the, the divinity of Jesus has come under attack. Um, he's not just a good prophet. The divinity of Jesus has, has come under attack. And in fact, there are, um, within the category of Christianity, there are certain um, parts of it that they believe he's Lord, but they don't believe he's God. Okay, so there, there are whole religions um, that fall into this uh, category. I would actually say that they're more of a cult if they don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Um, now, most of you here, if I say, um, <clears throat> do you believe Jesus is God? Most of you here, um, really by virtue of your tradition or by virtue of being part of this church, um, would, would, would accept that. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is God, okay? Um, but if I ask you to give a straightforward a scripture, straightforward, proving that he is God, would you have one just immediately that was just on the top of your head? And here, and, and it's good that many of you do, but I just, what I want to do is I want to make sure we all understand and everyone has a straightforward scripture right in their arsenal where they can prove that Jesus is God. Um, again, I don't think it's enough that your faith, your, tradi- your tradition, you know, uh, it's part of the Protestant tradition. It's part of the Catholic tradition. It's part of the um, Eastern Orthodox tradition that Jesus is God. But listen, I want to say that's not enough. Maybe your youth pastor taught you. Maybe your pastor taught you. That's not enough. You need to have in yourself a conviction of the divinity of the Lord Jesus. So my goal here is that everyone here would have a biblical um, Rolodex of at least one scripture where they could say, this is why I know Jesus is God. It's a big deal, okay? Um, he isn't just divine. He's divinity. Some people will say, yeah, he's, he's God's son. He's divine. 
but he's not divinity. Okay, he isn't just divine, he is divinity. He isn't just from God, he is God. He is God incarnate, right? He isn't just God's son, he is God incarnate. If this is important, how many think this is important to our faith? To understand this. I think this, this is fundamental, central to, the, to what we believe in the Bible. Um, if this is important, then of course the enemy of your soul is going to try to sow doubt into your heart about this. And um, what he will try to do is establish a beachhead in your mind. How many know that um, during World War II, uh, we were uh, fighting against Nazi Germany, and the Allied troops had to establish a beachhead on on the beaches of Normandy before they could invade all of Europe? Um, They had to win that battle there. It It was a bloody battle that they had to win to establish a place from which they could launch wage warfare um, onto the rest of the continent. Okay, it's very similar, honestly, to the enemy of your soul. You have to watch out for these, these small things that he tries to sow into your mind and sow into your thinking. That's why the Bible says to take every thought captive, that, um, every thought captive and, and subject it to the Lord Jesus, subject it to truth, because if you start believing a lie, guess what? You're empowering the liar. Satan is a liar. If you believe a lie, you empower the liar. And, f- and deception tends to multiply and tends to grow. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so this is fundamental and foundational to the doctrine we believe. But I've noticed that some Christians have um, come under attack and are like, is, is he God or is he just God's son? Um, we want to. Te- I want to teach all about that. I want to teach about you know Jesus the man, Jesus the, the son of God, Jesus the lion, Jesus the lamb, all these different things, Jesus the warrior. But today I want to focus on the divinity of Jesus, and I want this truth to be established in your heart. Everyone needs at least one slam dunk scripture of why they know Jesus is God. Um, I'm going to give you many today. In fact, we're gonna, what we'll do is we're going we're gonna to go on a bit of a theological journey. This will be more of a teaching message than it is a preaching message. We're going to go on a little bit of a theological journey. And then at the end here, I'll just make sure to give you some really punchy slam dunk scriptures where you can just put that in your arsenal and know definitively uh, this truth. It's important. Okay? So there are um, five characteristics, five attributes um, to be a divine person. Okay, there are five attributes. I want to go through each one. Uh, and Jesus fulfills every single one of these. I want you to see that Jesus fulfills every single one of these divine attributes. Attribute number one, omnipotence. Everyone say omnipotence. Omnipotence means unlimited power. Unlimited power. How many, how many remember in Star Wars when um, Senator Palpatine um, is trying to electrocute, who's the guy again? Windu? Master Windu. He's trying to electrocute him, and Windu has his lightsaber up, and then he loses his lightsaber because Anakin cuts his arm off. Anyway, that's when Senator Palpatine gets him, and he says, unlimited power. Okay, I can't help but think about that clip. I thought about playing it, but anyway, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Unlimited power. That's what I think of when I think of unlimited power. But question, does Jesus possess unlimited power? Okay. Let's look at some scriptures. Hebrews 1, chapter 1 through 3. I read part of this last week. It says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. He also made the universe. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, here we see that Jesus wasn't just part of creation. He was central to creation. He is creator. Okay, Jesus was at, cre- at the creation of the universe um, and the initiator of the creation of the universe. Okay, why? Because he's God. And we also see that Jesus isn't just creator. He's also sustainer. He upholds, he upholds the universe by the power of his word. He doesn't just... He didn't just speak it into being. It, it stays, your atoms, your molecules in your body, they stay connected and don't fly apart into just random energy because God's word has been spoken and we are literally held together by the power of his word. Amen. Okay. Um, it also says this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, so we're talking about a person here, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Okay? This is a slam dunk scripture for you. If you need a slam dunk scripture, here you go. He was with God, and he was God, and by the way, still is God. Nothing was created that wasn't made by Jesus. Okay? Slam dunk, okay? Um, but here's what I want you, just an application for your everyday life. Um, he is, he's not just the creator, he's your creator. And he's not just the sustainer, he's your sustainer. And because he's a personal God, he's a personal God, this Jesus that flung the, the galaxies into existence is also a personal God to you. He created you and he sustains you and you can have a relationship with this amazing, majestic, powerful person. All right, that's point number one, omnipotence. Point number two, attribute number two, omnipresence, okay? This is the quality of occupying all space and all time at once, everywhere at once, ever-present is another way to say it. Does Jesus occupy all space and all time? Okay, he does. Angels... And demons are spirit beings, okay? They're spirit beings. You and I, we're actually spirit beings as well with a body. Um, But we do not occupy all space and time at the same time. And angels and demons do not occupy all space and all time at the same time. Um, In Job chapter 1, verse 7, it says that the devil was roaming about throughout. He was going to and, and fro on the earth, okay? He was moving about on the earth. He wasn't occupying all space at all time. Um, And a lot of people uh, put it like this, and and we have to totally break this mentality. Jesus is not the opposite of the devil. Like, they're not equal opposites. If if the devil is negative 10, Jesus isn't positive 10, okay? Maybe the devil, I don't know, since we're quantifying things, we'll say the devil is negative 10, but Jesus is infinity, okay? They're not equal opposites. Jesus is amazing, and he can crush the devil in a second. They're not equal opposites. Okay. Uh, It also says this in Ephesians 1, 
22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who, watch this, fills everything and every, in every way. Uh, in fact, when he fills everything in every way, he occupies all space and time. Uh, when when Bree got up here to give a word about all things are from him and, and to him and for him, right? He is the initiator, the creator, the sustainer. He fills all space, all time, at the same time. That's a godly, that's his divine, his divine attribute. The, the Bible says in Genesis uh, 1, chapter 1, in the beginning, beginning means time, so there's the creation of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens, space, and earth, matter. So time, space, and matter, all within the first verse of the Bible. Jesus is the initiator of all of those things at the same time. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what's known as the Great Commission. We've all been, the disciples were commissioned with this commission, and this commission is for us today. But watch what he says here in in Matthew uh, 28. Then Jesus came and said to them, this is after the resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I'm with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How could he possibly do that? I could say that, you know, I have two daughters. I could say, I'm Evie, I'm with you always. But I can't say to my other daughter, Trinity, Trinity, I'm with you always. Why? Because they're not always in the same place at the same time doing the same thing. Okay. Um, You can, an, an angel could say, I'm with Ben always. But an angel can't say, I'm with Ben and with Greg always. Why? Because Ben and Greg are not always in the same place at the same time, okay? He is ever present. Um, when I first got into ministry, I was, a, I was a college pastor. And in 2009, the first mission trip that I had ever been on um, was, was to Vietnam, and I was leading the mission strip. So there's a steep learning curve for you, by the way. Never been on one. By the way, you're going and you're leading the trip. So, um, <clears throat> But I remember we get to Vietnam, and it's kind of a silly thought that I had. I don't, kind of an immature, I don't know, call it what you want. But I have this thought, I get to Vietnam, and then we go visit one of the underground churches in Vietnam, and they're like generals in the faith, amazing, solid believers who've been going hardcore after God for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, Because when the United States was there, they had churches um, that were operating. But when communism took back over, all those churches had to go underground or otherwise be controlled by the state. So I go visit one of these underground churches and I walk in and they're just, they're praising God. They're praising God and it's like really good. And I walk in and I'm hit by the presence of God. I'm like, wow, it is thick in this place. The presence of God is here. And this is the kind of a funny thought that I had in my mind. I, I prayed this prayer. I'm like, oh, God, you're here. Oh, you're here. You're here too? What are you doing? God, what are you doing here? Oh, you like Southeast Asia too? I didn't know that. You know, it was like, of course he's here. He made Southeast Asia. He loves these people more than I love these people. And he's there. Okay. He's, it was just a, this weird, funny thought that I had. Like, you know, he's like, yeah, I've been here forever, you know, and you just came on the scene a minute ago, okay? He occupies all space, all time simultaneously, okay? That's uh, divine attribute number two. 
Divine characteristic number three, omniscient, omniscience. This means all knowledge. He knows, Jesus knows everything that there is to know. Okay, there's nothing that he doesn't know. John chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, it says this. Um, now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He knew what was in people's hearts. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay, here's the deal. Jesus didn't just see them, he saw through them. Jesus doesn't just see you, he sees right through you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Luckily, he loves you. <laughs> Amen? He knows the good, the bad, the ugly up in here. Okay? But it was this reason why Jesus would be teaching to a group of people, and all of a sudden, he would look off to the side and be like, why are you reasoning among your hearts and saying this in your hearts? Why are you reasoning your minds? And, you know, he, he, what was he doing? He was reading their thoughts. He knew exactly what they were thinking, even though they weren't saying anything. He knows all things. Colossians 2, verses uh, 2 through 3, it says, Paul says this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in their heart and united love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Watch this, verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, in Jesus are hidden all treasures of wisdom, all treasures of knowledge. He knows everything. So if you want to invent something or you don't know the answer to a test or whatever, Jesus knows that answer. Amen? All treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many know that if you lose your keys, he knows where your keys are? <laughs> There's so many times I'm like, God, I know you know where my keys are. I don't know where they are. Would you mind telling me where my keys are? Because I have to go. And I can't find them, okay? I do that all the time, okay? He knows where your keys are. He knows who you're supposed to marry, who you're not supposed to marry. He knows, who, uh, he knows what house you're supposed to buy, what house you're not supposed to buy. He knows what job you're supposed to take, what job you're not supposed to take. He knows the business decision that you're supposed to make. He knows the business decision not to make. He knows a difficult meeting you're going to go into, and he, he will prepare you. At times, thank God, sometimes he just prepares you for things that are coming ahead. He knows everything, and it's so applicable and great for our lives. All right, that's point number three. Point number four, characteristic number four of divinity, he is eternal. Jesus is without beginning, and Jesus is without end. God didn't 2,000 years ago say, I'm going to have a son, and he's going to come to the earth. He did come to the earth. God did become flesh and dwelt among us. But Jesus predates, pre-existed pre, um, pre before that. He was, he was, he's always been with God. It says this in um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem of Ethra, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings, goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Okay, this is a messianic prophecy of, of Jesus before Jesus was born into this world. The Bible prophesied, it declared, that out of Bethlehem there would, be, there would come a ruler, there would come the Messiah. And it says it wasn't, he wasn't just of old, he was 
he was, his goings forth are from old. How old? From everlasting. Okay? He pre-existed, pre-dated before he was born into this world from everlasting. It is clear here that Jesus, this ruler, is eternal. All right, now let me show you um, another Old Testament scripture. And this one isn't specifically attributing Jesus, but I want to show you, I want to make this correlation between this Old Testament scripture and another one. It says this in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. It says this, this is what the Lord says. This is what Yahweh says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies, I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Okay, so this is Yahweh is the proper name of God in the Old Testament. Yahweh is saying, I am the first, I am the last. There's no other God. Now look at this scripture. Pull that forward into the New Testament. Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. Jesus said this, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the eternal God. He's, he's saying, this one that the Old Testament spoke about, who is the first and the last, and there's no other God, I'm that God. This is, this is the claim that he's making. There's no other God besides him. I also find it interesting where it says here, he's the Lord of heaven's armies. If you look at Revelation chapter 14, it talks about Jesus leading heaven's armies to come to this earth to wage war against the kings of the world at that time. It's, so here we have the Lord of heaven's armies in Isaiah 44, and you see in Revelation 19, uh, 14, Jesus is the Lord of hosts. He is the one leading heaven's armies. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. You know what? I'm going to find that real quick and read that verse because it's a really good application to this. He's without beginning and without end. But the amazing thing is, is that he had a plan, purpose, and destiny for you from the foundation of the world. It says this, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It was his pleasure and it was his will before the foundations of the earth, before he made anything, to plan to predestine you to be conformed to his image, to be adopted into his family. That is so good. This is the eternal Christ that we serve. He chose us in him before the world even began. How many of you have ever adopted in this room? Raise your hands. I know Greg has. You guys have adopted. What do you do? Before that baby maybe is even born, or perhaps the baby's born, but before it has any knowledge of being adopted or knowing adoption is an option, what do you do? You make plans. You go through all the legal process. You raise a lot of money. And then you, you get a room together, and you get all the crib together, and you, you make this place for this child who has no knowledge of adoption is even such a thing. This is the same thing with us. Before we were even close to being born, from the foundation of the world, he predestined each and every one of us to be adopted into his family. He is eternal without beginning or end. Characteristic number five, he's immutable. 
that means he is unchangeable. This is good news for us. God is not fickle. He's not flip-floppy. He doesn't change his mind all the time, which is really good news. His love for you is consistent and steady. If his love for you were contingent upon you're acting perfect all the time, we would all be in really big trouble, wouldn't we? Because how many know that we have good days, bad days, ugly days, but his love for us is consistent. It says this in Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal, the eternal God of the past, the eternal God of the present, the eternal God of the future. He's unchanging. You and I are on a journey of metamorphosis. Um, in fact, by definition, everything in the universe changes. We change, the world changes, the universe changes. By definition, it can't stay the same. Entropy is at work at every single one of us. The only one qualified to be unchangeable in every respect is God himself. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for you is constant. His love for you is consistent. Jesus fits the divine attributes, the divine characteristics, every single one of them. He is omnipotent. He has unlimited power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's omniscient. He possesses all knowledge. He's eternal without beginning or end, and he's immutable. He is unchangeable. Jesus is all of those things, and you and I are none of those things. Amen? I don't know everything there is to know. I don't know half of everything there is to know. But I know some things. Okay, I know how to love. It's <laughs> for a scump reference for you there. I don't know a lot, but I know how to love. I know what love is, yeah. All right, I'm going to conclude with this. That was a bit of a theological journey, just showing that Jesus um, fits every divine attribute, because I want us to have a theological framework for what we believe. Yes, we, it needs to be real in our hearts, it needs to be real in our heads, but I want us to have that theological framework for why we believe what we believe, and this is why, Christians, we need to be in the Word of God a lot, okay? Because you want to be equipped to um, wage war in this world and to be a strong believer, not just one getting by. Let me, get, let me close with, I'm going to give you four explicit scriptures on the divinity of Lord Jesus. These are scriptures that you can hang your hat on. So make sure one of these is in your arsenal, okay? I'm going to give you one from the Old Testament, one from the Gospels, one uh, from the Epistles, and one from Jesus himself. All right, so first, first one, Old Testament. This is amazing, one of the most profound uh, scriptures in the whole Bible. This is talking about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. This is a messianic prophecy a couple thousand years before Jesus was born. It says this, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, this prophecy sp spoke about a child to be born, he, and he will be mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So good. That's clearly portraying Jesus. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time 
on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay, clear picture of Jesus. Who doesn't think this is talking about Jesus? I don't know how Jewish people can even read this and not realize that the Messiah was clearly Jesus because he fulfilled all this and that the Messiah actually is God himself. In fact, um, Isaiah 53, this, it's such a clear picture of Jesus as the Messiah. It's, Isaiah 53 is literally what's known in, in many Jewish circles as the forbidden chapter. They just they go from Isaiah 52, they skip over Isaiah 53 and keep going because it's, it's confusing to them because it's so clear. Because you have to conclude this is talking about Jesus, Isaiah 53. Okay, so explicitly this is talking about Jesus. Okay, that's an Old Testament. And what I'm, what I'm trying to do here is I want you to see that the idea of Jesus being God is not just a one-off. It's not like, oh, Scripture saying I said this, but it's not really established you know, throughout the Bible. What I'm trying to show you is there is a continuity throughout your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, Epistles, all the way through. All right, second one, Epistle. Um, this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By the way, the Epistles are not the Apostles' wives, if you didn't know that. Write that down. Write it down. Colossians 2, 8, 9. Paul says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and, not, and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Let's just pause there. We all need to keep this verse in mind. We don't want to be carried away with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense, and human thinking. Amen? Look at the next verse, verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. All the fullness of God lives in a human body in Christ, okay? We need to believe that. We need to be established in that. This is an explicit verse on the uh, divinity of the Lord Jesus. All right, let me show you this now in a gospel. Um, we're going to read in John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. It says this, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Uh, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Boo. No. <laughs> Imagine if he had done that. He just walks through the wall. Boo. I'd be terrified. It's good. That he, see, isn't he a good Lord? He, he's like, I'm going to walk through the wall. The first thing I have to say is, don't be afraid. Peace. Okay. <clears throat> Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. So Jesus still has these wounds in his hands and in his side, saying, Thomas, put your fingers in these holes, okay? Stop doubting and believe. Watch this, verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas calls Jesus God. And if you look in the Greek, it's, it's the Greek word for God, Okay. He's not just the Lord of Lords. He's God himself. Verse 29, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Okay, that's us. We're those who didn't literally see with our physical eyes Jesus, but we're blessed because we do believe. We've been given faith in, in spite of this. In the book of Revelation, um, I think there's two, maybe three instances where John has been given, John is um, 
the Lord's giving him a revelation, and one of the, the messengers of that revelation is an angel. And that angel is apparently very glorious and, and carries with, with it a lot of splendor. And in the, in the book of, um, it's actually Revelation 19.10 is one of the instances. John says, I fell down before this angel to worship. And the angel says, the angel actually stops and says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brethren. Worship God. Don't, don't worship me. I'm not God. Okay. What I want you to see here is that Jesus, when Thomas says, my, my Lord and my God, there's no rebuke. Jesus didn't go like, whoa, okay. Yes, you've gone a little too far. Yes, I'm Lord, but this whole God business, like that's a little too far. Notice Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus just takes that. He would have said something if it was blasphemy, right? He would have said something if it was blasphemy, just like um, in Revelation 19.10. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8, and you know what? I've got to go there. I'm sorry. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. I just want to show you guys that Jesus is worthy of our worship, and only God is worthy of worship. Okay, no one else is worthy of worship but God Himself. It says this in Matthew chapter four, verses eight and ten. This is the temptation of Jesus. Um, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, so Jesus says explicitly, only worship God. He's the only one qualified for worship. Now jump over to Matthew chapter 14, verses 33. It says this, Jesus walked on water, another scary time where he scared the disciples. Um, it says this, and when they climbed, when he climbed, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." Okay, if that was blasphemy, if they're worshiping Jesus and it was blasphemy to do so, Jesus would have stopped them, just like the angel in Revelation ten nineteen ten, right? Okay, Jesus received that worship. He took that worship. Why? Because he was worthy of that worship. All right, it's good news for us. Okay, no rebuke for Thomas. He says, my Lord, my God, and the shoe fit, and Jesus wore it. Amen? Okay, last one, number four. Jesus himself claimed to be God. I want to show you this scripture. Jesus, in, in uh, John chapter 8, uh, verses, uh, well, in John chapter 8, you can see this heated debate that Jesus is getting in with the Pharisees, and they're like, we're Abraham's descendants, and Jesus is like, no, you're not. You guys don't believe the truth, okay? It says this in uh, John chapter 8, verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Watch this. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away uh, from the temple grounds. Okay, why would, why would he make a statement before Abraham was, I am? Why would that initiate them to then pick up stones and want to kill him with stones? Because clearly he was, he was saying that I'm God. Now let me show you why that's the case. Before Abraham was, I am. In Exodus chapter 3, 
God appeared to Moses in a burning bush to lead, appeared to Moses and said, you're going to be delivered. We're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, okay, suppose they ask me what your name is. What do I tell them? What do I tell the people that, um, that you, when you sent me? And Moses, so, and God says this, tell him, tell them I am that I am. I am the great I am. That is my name. In no uncertain terms, Jesus claims to be the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the desert, into the promised land. Jesus' Jesus' claim here was he was claiming to be God. That's why they picked up stones to kill him, because they attributed this to blasphemy. He made a blasphemous statement. Here's what I want to say. Jesus is worthy of the same love, trust, obedience, faith, and worship that we give to the Father. Jesus is worthy of all of your worship, all of your faith, all of your love. Amen?